Dave made the statement in his lesson that his oldest son thought that he was always angry. Well, his oldest son has been my best friend for well over 20 years. Dave was always angry. <laughs> Just for the record. No, all, all kidding aside, um, Dave, from what I can tell, Dave was a fantastic father and has the respect of all three, all three of his sons. So he, that was made in jest, but I couldn't pass it up. Saved by blank. That's my top. Saved by blank. And in the information that I received from the elders, there were a couple of words parenthetically placed after the blank. And those words were words like, or not like, those words were, grace, faith, baptism, works, etc. We are saved by blank. Well, this concept of salvation is a really, not only an interesting, but an incredibly applicable topic and should be interesting to all of us because the thought of eternal damnation doesn't appeal to me very much and I assume doesn't appeal to you very much either. So how do we get saved? Salvation has been talked about a number of times for a number of centuries and for good reason. It's important. Salvation is important. Eternal damnation is something in my mind that ought to be avoided. And so a discussion and a concept and understanding where salvation comes from is very important to us as well. There's lots of differing views about this. There's lots of differing views about lots of things. But you can talk to all kinds of religious people, all kinds of buildings that have crosses and church and the word Christ and various things all throughout this country, all throughout just this city or nearby. And you're going to find incredibly different answers as to what it is that saves us. There's not only a lot of differing views, but a fair bit of confusion on the matter. And so hopefully this afternoon I realize that it is the last lesson of the meeting. It's been a relatively long day. We had an incredibly good meal, um, and really good meal. And, and we've had some singing. I understand that you've been sitting here a while, but this is something that's not only an important topic, but a little bit of a deep topic. So um, it may be a challenge to stay, stay with me, but I, I encourage you to try and do so because it does have some important things to it. There's a lot of confusion, like I said, out there about salvation. But one thing that we can be unconfused about is that God wants us to be saved. God wants you, God wants me, God wants us, God wants them, whoever them is, to be saved. And we need to look no further than 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. He desires all men to be saved. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says a similar thing when it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Why? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And there's other verses that we could turn to, but here, just to establish it, there's two verses that God wants us to be saved. God wants us to have salvation. Well, when I got the topic and it says we're saved by and it says blank, I had the idea and so I got out my Strong's Concordance and looked up the word save and saves and saved. That's right. Those three words and see what it is that, that is said about that in comparison with these words. And so I went through the New Testament and tried to find scriptures talking about what it is that saves us. Directly the scriptures say this thing will save us. Titus 3, verse 5 says mercy. Ephesians 2, 8 says grace. Baptism is stated multiple times, but in 1 Peter 3, 21. 
Christ says that those that endure till the end will be saved in Matthew 10, 27. Belief in baptism in Mark 16, 16 says that we are saved through Christ in John chapter 10, verse 9. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, Acts 2.21. Confess the Lord and belief that he was and belief in the fact that he was raised again, Romans 10.9. The gospel of Christ saves us, 1 Corinthians 15.1 and 2. God saves us. There's a thought. God saves us. Philippians 1.28, sanctification, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, not being ashamed of Christ, Mark 8.35, continuing in doctrine, 1 Timothy 4.16, repentance, 2 Peter 3.9, the word, James 1.21, and bearing fruit, John 15.1-6. That's 16, and that's not an exhaustive. Those are just the ones that I kind of cherry-picked. I'm sorry, Vonna, I went really fast. She's looking at me <laughs> with eyes about this big. I can give you a list later. I'm sorry. Back to here. There were 16 items, and there were several others, but there were 16 items that says we're saved by this, or that these things save us. There's a lot of things that go into our salvation. So to sum it up in one word, or to try to sum it up into one word, is really an act in futility. I just went through 16, and there was others. So there are several components, there are several things that go into our salvation. Of these 16 passages that I just referenced, I'd like to revisit four of them in a little bit more detail. Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It makes a definitive statement there. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Matthew 10, 22 says, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he was raised, that he has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These four verses very explicitly say, make the statement that you will be saved. The interesting thing is that those four verses say four very different criteria for that salvation. So how do we reconcile that? We can start to understand why there might be some confusion outside these walls. We have factual statements. If somebody says, Shane, you do this, and I will give you $5, I expect that it will happen. And if they list a whole number of things that I can do to get $5, I expect if I do each one of those things, I get $5. I don't know why I use that example, like I'm going to get money. But if you have a factual statement, you expect that to be self-containing. All of these things very clearly state that you will be saved with these things, but they very clearly state different criteria. So what does this mean? What does that mean? Well, one option would mean that if you do any of those things, you will be saved. And there's that school of thought out there, that these are all paths to salvation. And I don't mean that there's different paths to God, that Buddha and Islam and all these other different things are all one pathways to God, but within the realm of Christianity, that there are different paths to Christ. If I call on the name of the Lord, as is stated in Acts 2.21, I can have a relationship with Christ. But if somebody else confesses Jesus Christ and believes in his resurrection, according to 10.9, he can have a relationship with Christ. There's that thought out there, that you can do any of these things, and you will be saved. And it's very understandable why you would have that thought, because those verses very much read that way. In isolation, this seems to make sense, at least it does to me, and it's a bit of an interesting thought. Are we saved by these things only? 
Well, I'd like to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. And in this, it makes a different statement about our salvation. And, and this, is a, a, this topic is a lot bigger of a topic than this sermon I'm giving tonight. There's a lot in here, and so I may move fast. I may, I'm going I'm to admittedly leave a lot out, and that's just by necessity, because this topic is far bigger than a 25- or 30-minute sermon that we could take a look at here. But in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So here it's implying that repentance is tied to our salvation. And it says that not any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, implying that all who are saved have to repent. And yet these four statements that I listed, not a one of them references repentance. It talks about calling on the name of the Lord, endurance, belief, confession, belief in the resurrection. Not a single one of those verses has anything to do with repentance. And yet here it seems that repentance is necessary. So what does this tell me? This tells me that there's other factors in play besides just the isolated statements that we find in those four verses. There's more going on with respect to our salvation. There are not multiple ways to Christ, contrary to what you may hear out there. We know that everyone that nobody goes to the Father except through Christ. We know that Christ is the only way to the Father. But we also ought to understand that there are not multiple ways in which we can foster a relationship with Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks to this a little bit. And some of you may have been expecting me to turn here with respect to, to this unity and, and having only one way. And we, there's a, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6. It's a very famous passage that I'm sure we've visited a number of times. And it talks about, I'll just read, I guess, here. In verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But does that say anything about how there's only one way to Christ? It says that there's only one God. There isn't multiple gods, but does it say that there's only one path to salvation? And if I break it down by item, I think I can comfortably make that assertion. It says that there is one Lord, there is one body and one spirit, and there is one faith. Okay, there could be one Lord, but multiple pathways to one Lord. There could be one body, but multiple pathways into that body. But there's one faith. There's one belief. There has to be a unity of belief. I can't believe that there's one way to be saved and somebody else believe that there's another way to be saved and have that, in my mind, be one faith. So I think the fact that one faith and then it's followed right by one baptism. Baptism, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I think this not only underscores the necessity of baptism, but it, it underscores that there is only one true baptism. And so that if there is one faith, if there's one belief system, and there's one baptism, only one immersion, only one way to be baptized then I think there has to be only one way into this body and into Christ. So even though there might be some confusing statements out there, or there might be some piecemeal sta statements out there, there are not, in my estimation, multiple ways to be saved. Dave made this point, but moving on, as my topic is saved by faith. Hebrews 11 and 6 tells us that it's impossible to please God without faith. And if we turn to that verse in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says that faith in what? It references faith that he exists, faith in him, and that faith that he rewards those who seek him. 
So not just belief in Christ, but belief that he rewards those who seek after him, implying some sort of action, implying some things that we ought to be done. So 2 Peter 3 tells us that repentance is necessary. Hebrews 11 and 6 tells us it's impossible to please him without faith. And even though that doesn't say anything about salvation, I'm going to make the assertion that it's difficult to be saved without pleasing God. I don't think God's going to save someone whom he's not pleased with. And so if I can't please the Lord without faith, I think it's reasonable to expect that I can't be saved without faith. And we can find some other verses to support that that we'll talk about in a moment as well. Another interesting verse with respect to our salvation, our possible salvation, is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. I'd like to turn there. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy was an evangelist, a relatively young man. And so this is some personal advice from an older man, an older evangelist, an older apostle, I guess, Paul, to a younger preacher of the word, Timothy. And in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. So he's telling Timothy to continue in doctrine. Why? For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Continuing in doctrine was going to save Timothy. So was Timothy not saved? Had Timothy confessed? Had Timothy repented? Had Timothy believed? But yet he had to continue in this doctrine here. Why? To save himself. And then obviously his works of preaching the word could spread the word to others and possibly save some others. We can understand, we, we know in Acts chapter 16 that, that Timothy was a faithful brother, so we know that he had accepted Christ and that he was a respected Christian, yet his salvation still hung in the balance. He needed to continue to bear good fruit. He needed to continue in doctrine to avoid being chopped off from the vine, just like we find in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. I'm not going to take the time to turn there. But we know that we are to bear good fruit. Those who don't bear good fruit will be chopped off and thrown into the fire. Timothy had to bear good fruit in order to be saved it says so again these four passages that i referenced earlier that just have these singular linear statements that if you do this you will be saved if you do this you will be saved we find as we look at this a little bit more deeper that there is another layer after layer after layer upon our salvation or to our salvation So that gets us to kind of one of the fundamental questions when we talk about our salvation. And that gets us a little bit to faith versus works. And we've heard that a number of times, perhaps from this pulpit. Faith versus works. Are we saved by our faith or are we saved by our works? Well, I'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and take a look at what the, the writer Paul has to say about this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So we see that salvation is a gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you're saved by grace through faith, it's a gift from God, and you are not saved by works. So to answer these questions on a very basic fundamental level, does works save us? No. Works does not save us. And sometimes we can get kind of caught up in that a little bit. You know, it's interesting, I looked online, and there's a lot of interesting things online, a lot of uninteresting things online, too, but I looked, I looked online, and when you get in this kind of faith versus works, you find this, this uh, two camps out there. It's, it's faith 
versus faith plus works. And that's what's out there. There's a faith category, people that believe that you just have to have faith, and then there's this other category that's faith plus works. But does works save us? No, it doesn't. Works does not save us. It's, Paul says it here in Ephesians 2, verse 9. Works do not save us. Does faith save us? Well, here in verse 8, it says that we're saved by grace through faith. So we can maybe make the assertion that faith does save us. Grace saves us. We are saved by grace. Everything that we have is from the grace of God. We are all sinners, and it is only by God's grace that we have the opportunity to be saved. We are saved by grace, and we get access to God's grace through our faith. Faith lets us access this grace. Romans 3 and 28 also tells us that we are justified by faith. It is our faith that saves us. And I think that's relatively clear through the scriptures. There's multiple times we are saved by faith. We're saved by some other things as well. But we are saved by faith. We are not saved by works. To, to illustrate this point a little bit, and don't get too concerned because I'm going to end up in a place that will probably make most of you a little more comfortable than you might be right now. Are we supposed to take the Lord's Supper? I think that we all believe that we are. We do that on a weekly basis. Are we supposed to, are we supposed to attend services? I believe that we are. Are we supposed to be generous and are we supposed to be giving to the poor? I think that we are and I think that we can all agree that we are supposed to do these things. Can we be saved having never done any of those? I believe so. I believe so. What if we have a situation where somebody, and this is a hypothetical, and so we won't get into too many of these, but if you have a situation where someone is, is believing, has accepted Christ, is immersed, and then has a heart attack within a couple of hours, they may never take a Lord's Supper. They may have never had an opportunity to be generous as a Christian. But does that mean that they're not saved? Not at all. Because the works don't save them. Let me converse that. Is it possible for somebody to be saved without faith? I don't think that's possible at all. Because if they're going to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and if they're going to come to it with a repentant heart, they have faith in the Lord. It is our faith that saves us. It is not our works. It's possible to be saved without having ever done a good work. It would be unlikely, but I think it is possible. But I do not believe in any instance at all is it possible to be saved without having faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith is what saves us. It was possible for them to follow the old law to a T and not really have faith. The repeated sacrifices and observance of the law set them apart. They could have been, I almost said they could have been a faithful Jew without having faith, but I'm not sure how that, they could have been an obedient Jew. They could have been obedient without having much faith. That is no longer the case. Our works don't justify us. Our works do not justify us. And we've, as we've established, I don't believe that we are saved by works. Okay. Why is that? Well, I don't know all of that, but Romans 3.27 and here in Ephesians 2 and 9, it indicates that works could lead to boasting. And that was a serious problem for the Jewish nation, the Jewish brethren at that time. They did all these outward things and they got caught up with it and it led to boasting. That's not the case anymore. So if we're not saved by works, if we're saved by our faith, is baptism a work? And when we look online and we talk to some of our religious friends or our religious brethren, brethren loosely, they will make that contention. 
It clearly states that we are not saved by work, and they make the contention that anything that is done physically is a work. Well, I don't believe that. Because those very same people that say that baptism is a work will say that you can just call on the name of the Lord and confess the Lord Jesus is your Savior. Well, if you want to start splitting hairs, confessing, speaking, using the, mouth, the muscles in your mouth and your tongue is a physical action. I mean, so how can we say that moving my mouth is not a work, but getting dunked under some water is a work? I don't believe at all that baptism is a work. We live in a physical world, and some of our actions require physical activities. We are to read. We are to study. We had to learn about Christ. That's in some ways a physical activity, but I don't think anybody would make the assertion that reading the Bible is a work or having a Bible study or attending a Bible study is necessarily a work, but you have to have some sort of knowledge. So by nature, we live in a physical world, so we have to do some things that are physical, but that doesn't mean that they are a work. Baptism is a one-time thing. It's not a continual repetition of works that try to justify us. To further illustrate the, the point about baptism, I'm not going to touch on these, but Mark 16.16 16 talks about it, 1 Peter 3.21, Acts 2.38, and Romans 6 goes into great detail talking about the necessity of baptism. Works, when we, we think about what these works may or may not be, in the Old Testament, they were commanded to give 10%. They had a 10% tithe. They had very specific sacrifices that they were supposed to take to the temple that the priests were supposed to offer, down to, very well detailed. Very specific ways that they were supposed to observe certain feasts and certain traditions and certain rituals. Very specific rules and punishments and commandments and things that they were supposed to do on a very physical basis. And those things are what they had to do to be justified. Contrast that with the New Testament. We're not commanded to give 10% of our tithing. What are we commanded to do? Give as we are prospered. We don't offer sacrifices anymore. Why? Because there was one sacrifice done. We observe the sacrifice with the, the missing emblems right there. We observe our sacrifice on the Sunday morning with emblems that are emblematic of the sacrifice, but we don't have to do it again. We have a weekly observance of that, quote-unquote, similar to a Passover feast, with very little instruction, if you think about it. You know, we, we have very little instruction on how we're supposed to observe the Lord's Supper every, every week. Because it's not as important, the physicality of it, the works portion of it. We don't have a whole laundry list of specific rules that we're supposed to do when we have this or that or unclean or, or clean various things. Or what we're supposed to do if somebody is sick or quarantining or all kinds of things or corporal punishment. What are we told to do? In multiple places, we're basically just told to bear good fruit. The New Testament is a lot more ambiguous than the Old Testament. The heart is much more important than the deeds. Baptism is a one-time event. It's not a lifestyle of recurring works. I didn't work for the meal that I ate today, but I did have to get in line, go downstairs, and get some food. I didn't work for it, but I had to do something to get it. And our salvation is no different. We don't gain salvation by works, but there are some physical steps that must need to be taken in order to obtain it. So, I've said that baptism is not a work, and I've said that baptism is essential. So what role do works play? Or, or do they? Do works play a role in our faith? Or, in, I'm sorry, in our salvation? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, as I've referenced multiple times, says that we are not saved by faith. But James chapter 2, that was referenced in 
somebody's lesson. Was that Steve or Dave? Somebody referenced James chapter 2. I've heard it before. James chapter 2, verse 17 talks about how faith without works is dead. And I'm not going to take the time for time's sake. I'm not going to take the time to turn there. But we are saved by faith. But if, we, if that faith doesn't have works, faith is dead. Well, can we be saved by a dead faith? This gets into kind of a little bit of just, I don't want to say rabbit holes, but I mean, this really gets into a logic train that you kind of have to connect some dots. So let's just back up a little bit. Can faith save us? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says yes, faith can save us. Can works save us? Ephesians 2, 9 says no, works cannot save us. Can a dead faith save us? I'm going to say no. I, I can't believe that a dead faith is going to be pleasing to the Lord. So can faith alone without works save us? Well, the inference, the implication is no. If our faith without works is dead, and if a dead faith can't save us, then our faith does have to have some works. The works in and of themselves are not saving us. But we need our faith to be alive and not a dead faith. If our faith is alive through the good works we do, then we can be pleasing to the Father. It's not a checklist like the Old Testament might have had. And if I do this on Tuesday, and if I do this on Thursday, and I bring these three birds here, and then I take this here, there's not a, a formula. But God just tells us to do good works. God tells us there in James that if we see a brother in need, we ought to do it. God tells us all over the place. In Matthew chapter 25, very specific instances of things that they ought to do to help their brother. And not doing those things, the abstaining from those good works caused damnation. It's not faith versus works. It's faith producing works that saves us. If our faith does not produce works, then it is a dead faith. Make no mistake, though, our works do not save us. But if we are truly faithful, we will produce good works that keep our faith alive, much like Dave was talking about in his lesson, a healthy, strong, and active faith. I'll start to wind my thoughts down a little bit. So what is it that saves us? What saves us? Well, there's a whole laundry list of the same 16 things that I, I referenced earlier. Mercy saves us. Grace saves us. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve salvation. There's a number of things that Shane Lee deserves, but salvation's not one of them. We don't deserve it. We are saved by his grace. Baptism saves us. Our endurance to the end will save us. Belief in him and belief in the resurrection, calling on the name of the Lord, confessing Christ. Confessing Christ before men. That's an interesting topic I'd like to just touch on for a second. How long does it take to confess someone before men? Well, you can say, what, seven seconds? You know, so it's literally verbalized to confess it. Is that it? If we confess it? I, conf I was baptized when I was 13 years old, so I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Lord, or Son of God. So is that, is that it? Am I done? No, confession, I don't believe, is a one-time activity. I believe confession is a lifestyle. And when it says that we are to confess the Lord before men, it's not just standing up at one time in front of a, a group of people and confessing to them. But I think it's confessing to the world. Our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we believe that he died for our sins. The gospel of Christ can save us. Our sanctification can save us. Not being ashamed of Christ 
will save us in the fact that if we are not ashamed of him, he will not be ashamed of us. And finally, the last thing that I haven't referenced yet with respect to our salvation. I'd like to turn over to Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a number of things that I don't understand in this world, but for some reason God said and he instituted the way that this world works, that sin requires death. And I don't know why he did that. I've got some suppositions. I could, I could make some, some educated guesses about it, but it's just a fact. And we can argue with that fact, but that's not going to get us anywhere. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were kicked out of the garden. Then shortly thereafter, when things, wrongdoings were done, what had to happen? These animals had to die. When somebody sins, when there is sin, it requires death. Well, thankfully, through the blood of Jesus Christ, he died. I've sinned, and so by rights, I should perish. I should be put to death because I've done wrong in the Lord's eyes. But Christ stepped in and took that for me. Christ's blood was shed so that mine doesn't have to be. That is amazing. Jesus Christ, the creator, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh, the word. I mean, an eternal being came here and died so that we don't have to. And Romans 6 talks about our baptism in verses 4 and 5, talks about how if we are buried with him in, in death, and we can be resurrected with him in life. If there's anybody here that would like to come forward, and that would like to take advantage of that opportunity that we're extending at this time, please come forward and do so. The Lord wants us to be saved. While it can seem confusing, it the basic tenets of it aren't that confusing. We have sinned. Christ died so that we don't have to. And if you would like to be washed in his blood and accept him as your savior, please come forward as we stand and sing.